0: This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Pastor Kevin Myers delivers this teaching entitled, An Unscripted Career. This is the fourth message in the series, Unscripted. We hope this serves you well. Please enjoy.
1: So welcome to the unscripted series. Hands up if you can remember a time when you were under pressure. Just yeah, I remember being yeah, sure here across the camps. In fact, you may be in a season right now where you're saying, hey, I'm I'm there right now. I, I remember back uh, when we lived in Michigan, prior to having children, Marsh and I were in a, a moment of under pressure. We were trying to paint the whole interior of the house in a day, it was a small house, uh, and, and I'd gotten everything ready, but all the paint that we needed, we got to get it done that day, I'm not gonna have any time after that day for, for many days to paint, and, and, and literally, I mean it's getting so frustrated because we're coming right down to the end of the paint. I mean, I thought I had this nailed, and, and literally, literally, one-third of a gallon of paint shy of finishing. And I was just driving me nuts. Okay, that's it, we have no choice. I'm gonna have to go to the store. I look at the clock, we have eight minutes. Eight minutes before the paint store closes. And, and I, it's a 10 minute drive if there's no lights. So now I'm under huge pressure, right? That's real pressure. And so I said, I'm doing it. So I jump in the car, I tear out of the driveway and I race to the paint store. And, and I'm gonna make it. And two blocks away, the red and blue lights are flashing. I'm like, man, I was so close, and I, I pull off, and the officer comes to the car and window, and almost before he like even wants license and, and registration, he's like, dude, like what? What is wrong with you? Like, what, like is there an emergency? I'm like, well, yeah, kinda. <laughs> I mean, I'm under pressure here. I got to get paint. I'm a third a gallon short. <laughs> he looked at me and said, what, paint? You're, you're driving like this for paint? He said, young man, I, I saw you pull out of your driveway. Like you were on fire. I'm thinking, this, this guy's got an emergency. I've been trying to catch you since you left your driveway and couldn't catch you. Oh, well, that's going to be a problem for me, isn't it? Oh, yes, it is. I said, well, um, we're two blocks from the paint store. Would you mind if we just drove up there and you wrote your long ticket while I went in and got paint? Might as well get somebody. He just looked at me disgusted. No. (laughs) Yeah, I really did ask. (laughs) And... uh, Good news is, uh, the size of that ticket, I could have hired a painter and uh, get the whole thing done. So yeah, I was a bit of an idiot when I was 24. Not the last time I was an idiot, but, but I, I was an idiot then. And of course, you know and I know that I wasn't under real pressure. Uh, you know, paint, who cares? Real pressure is probably more like what I talked about a couple weeks ago. Now, that the whole 70-acre uh, deal that, w- that we bought as a church, and when I thought I killed the church, if you were here a couple weeks ago, you can go online and listen if you, if you missed it. We talked about trust God. And In fact, I'm, I'm going to go here and remind you. A fellow 12-stoner a at their campus asked their campus pastor, how can PK didn't finish the story? Well, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll finish it now. Uh, that that I, I, I talked about, I had this kind of like, I'll trust God for that 70-acre kind of risk if, uh, if you were here, you remember, if, if God has that person donate the land and, and, and that that if didn't work, they ended up charging us like three quarter million dollars more. And I'm like, oh, okay, God, I'll I'll trust you and I'll go do this deal. If, if somebody else writes the check inside the church, that's how you're going to do it. It's going to be amazing. And now I can trust you. And and, and nobody did that. That, that, didn't work. And oh, I, I know it's going to trust God if there's major momentum and everything just kind of goes forward in a beautiful way. And, and, and then we get the, the weight of that burden and, and financial providing solved, and it it didn't happen that way. In fact, a couple hundred people left the church because of the risk taken. And and then I just talked about how, uh, really, I I had to just come down to to trust God and trust God, period. But the truth of the matter is, um, I actually added another trust God if to the story. And that is, well, God, this is going to be pressure for a long time. This could be pressure for three or four years before we finally manage the land and the financial pressure and the providing pressure and end up moving on to the land. Uh, and that didn't even work. It wasn't three to four years. It wasn't even five or six or seven. It was eight, over eight years of just constant uphill pressure. And that is not how I scripted it. And we're having conversations about unscripted. We're tapping into Ernie Johnson's story in his book. And he, he's talking about the discovery that, you know, his scripts don't always work. And he's under a bigger script, a bigger plan, a bigger purpose being God's. And that it, when things go off script, if you would just uh, maybe, maybe have the ability to, 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 to trust God in that, you might discover that off script is where uh, you encounter some of the most unexpected and best. Well, honestly, that 70-acre story was uh, far more pressure uh, than I had imagined it would be. And for much longer, over twice as long as I had even hoped it would be. Equally, I would have to confess, uh, church, that, that when we did finally uh, open the door and, and, and get on the land, that for the three years, once we moved on the 70 acres, for just the next three years alone... Uh, God did such a move that we impacted more people for the kingdom of God and so more people come to faith in those next three years than we did in the entire 20 years that preceded it. So you can't say uh, that God wasn't gracious and that God didn't move and that God didn't do something significant. But you cannot also dismiss that there is a certain pressure in providing, that career providing kind of pressure is real, but so is the involvement of God. And one of the first questions Ernie processed while he was navigating his faith is a question I want you to jot down in your notes. I'll put it on the screen for you. The question is, who is my provider? Who is my provider? It's one of the most significant questions you answer in life because it has huge impact everywhere in your life. It's one of the questions that David, King David, of David and Goliath, author of the Psalms, that King David wanted to answer for his, answer for his son Solomon because Solomon's going to become king next. And, and I, I, I believe that's what we can learn from Psalm 127. If you want to take your Bibles across the campus, turn over to Psalm 127, page 617, page 617, Psalm 127. And David is, is, I believe, helping Solomon answer the question, who is my provider? And while you turn there, I want you to listen into a couple of minutes of the interview with Ernie that that it, that we've heard uh, from even the week one, but I didn't unpack any of it. So that we want to go back to this. So listen, it.
0: Mine was just an identity crisis. Um, uh, who I am was what I do. I mean, I had become just, I'm this sportscaster, and I would tell folks, Oh no, I'm a husband and father first, and and a sportscaster. My job defined who I was. Um, my job dictated how I treated people. You know, as much as my father taught me, you know, respect for everybody, there were a few times where I lost it. Uh, one time in particular, when I'm working local TV and, and a producer mistimed the show, and so as the weekend sportscaster, I'm used to getting six and a half, seven minutes, and it was down to like two minutes, and it's the last segment of the, of the news. And I came out after that newscast, and the producer came out of her chair and met me in the, you know, at the door to the control room, very apologetic. I am so sorry that I did that. I heard none of it. I just let her have it verbally in combinations that that uh, sailors were envious of. I mean, it was horrible. And I did, I did this in front of, you know, ten other people on the crew. And I walked back to my office, proud of myself. I defended my turf. That'll never happen again. And really, it wasn't until that we hit the doors of the church and talked about who's the provider and what are you after, that it wasn't about my happiness I was after. It wasn't about what's the next thing I'll buy to make me happy. It was it was all about so what's my purpose? And is there a plan bigger than my own? Is there something bigger than my script? And that all rang true and came to be cemented on December 10th of 1997.
1: And Ernie gives us such a gift of approachability and authenticity and honesty. And we understand uh, the wrestlings where uh, what we do in our career in order to provide uh, becomes our identity. Uh, Almost the the framework for who we are. And, And there's real pressure in providing. And so it's no wonder that when things went off script... And the producer failed to hit the timing, and, and it put Ernie under even more pressure that, that he just came unglued and, and, and just literally ripped into her, kind of undressed her, and, 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 and really just stripped her of her dignity and dressed her down, as it were. And, it, you know, everybody gets it. because Hey, listen, because er- er- Ernie didn't have any, any Heavenly Father relationship to send his pressure on up to God. It just built in Ernie and and just cracked and exploded and got released into other people. It's pressure and providing is real. And David, King David, knew that his son Solomon was going to hit real pressure in life. Not not just, you know, uh, uh, run out of paint kind of pressure, but like 70 acre kind of risk pressure and providing, and so I I believe that Psalm 127. If, if you're already there, we we, we turn there to page 617. Uh, is is David? Now, now some believe that that Solomon wrote this. I, I actually believe the preponderance of evidence would lean more to David that he wrote it for Solomon. Uh, and and I think it, it. You see why when you start reading verse one. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. I mean, you're going to do labor, but but God's intimately involved. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. I mean, you're going to protect what you need to protect and the things that you love and who you love, but you need to know God's intimately involved in protecting that. Verse two, in vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he, God, grants sleep to those he loves. And we tapped into this back in March, and I only got halfway through the thoughts I wanted to share, so I'm going to come right back into it because I told you I'm taking freedoms, and we're going after stuff, and I wanted to be layered. And so, so Solomon, you're going to face real pressure. See, Solomon grew up in the, in the palace. So Solomon grew up a little bit soft in the sense that, you know, he was growing up under the favor of God as Heavenly Father, and he was growing up in, in the wake of his father David's hard work. And so, so in the midst of this, David knows you're going to face real pressure. You're about to become the man. You're going to become king. And all the reality of being an adult and having to provide in life is going to land on you. And what you'll need to know is that you're not on your own. It's not all on you, Solomon. God is your provider. If you don't learn this, Solomon, this stuff will crush you. The weight of the pressure that lands on you will be more than you can imagine. You think from a distance, oh, you'll be fine. But when this lands, your head will feel like it's in a vice. I mean, you you will be like the, the coconut caught in the vice. I use that because that's the imagery I have of being under pressure. And, and that I could just see David kind of wanting to say, oh, Solomon, let me, let me tell you the real deal, buddy. When you start providing, just like your head's in a vice like the coconut, and, and, and pressure starts to build. Man, when you get in your career and you're on your own, we all know this, and a certain self-sufficiency lands on you and you got to provide for yourself and it turns the crank. And should you get married and the pressure providing in marriage and it just keeps turning the crank and then you have children, oh, that makes life better, and it turn, turns the crank and the pressure increases, and then you end up with car payments and whoo, it just keeps turning you just feel like you're caught in the compression of this. You buy a house and you got the mortgage and this stuff, it just it, oh, it just keeps compressing. You start realizing this is this isn't just fun. No, this is real pressure. And with it, I realized that that I now we in credit cards and, and, and we're living beyond, and, and I gotta keep providing more and more, and I get caught almost trapped in this thing. And then with all of this providing kind of pressure, the vice keeps churning and turning, and, and the pressure keeps and, and and enough is never enough. I mean, in other words, I gotta do more because my last success doesn't really mean anything because I gotta do that again. And it doesn't matter how much more I do because enough is never enough. When I do a little bit more, we just live up to what I spend and like it doesn't even matter more doesn't matter because we just reach up to the more and and I got to keep doing it pretty soon I figure out like Solomon's going to figure out you might be in charge you might be king but you're not in control so you can't control the economy and you can't control customers and you can't control employees and you can't control things in your life. but yet you're responsible for it and so things turn on you and people turn on you and you still got to carry the whole thing and you're one person everywhere you go. So therefore, you carry the pressure and it just keeps building, and you you carry this pressure with you, and so it starts to affect your relationships. Sure it does, because after a while, you might be physically present, but you find yourself emotionally absent because you get so knotted up under the pressure of providing. You might be home with your spouse, but you're not fully present there with your kids and you're not fully present because the pressure keeps building and you know what this does don't you I mean eventually oh yeah you crack under pressure that's why we call it that just keeps building and you crack under pressure that's what Ernie did when he unleashed and On the producer, he was just cracking under pressure. We do that. Sometimes we do that with our spouse or with our kids. We do it on the road, we do it at work, we'll do it at church. We find ways that the pressure just builds and we, because the pressure is real. The pressure of providing and finances and the weight on that. Then we look for ways to escape, and some into alcohol some into prescription drugs or otherwise. Overeating, overspending, overindulging. Some into despair, some into depression. Some just escape the responsibility. Somebody else take it. I'm not even going to be responsible. And the pressure, if it doesn't let off and it just keeps building, you and I both know, you not only crack under pressure, but you also can fall apart. And so you end up, with the most important things in your life falling apart. So it's no wonder that it just kinda begins to feel like it falls in pieces and, well, no surprise. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't explain everything, but it does explain sometimes how marriages fall apart. It does explain how families can fall apart. It does explain how You can fall apart from the inside out and how your faith can fall apart. I mean, what David was telling his son is no small thing. You're gonna have to learn how you handle pressure. Because pressure is real, Solomon. But God is as real as your pressure and I think David wanna kinda take another coconut and set it in the vice and say, so Solomon, I wanna teach you something. You need to learn how to handle this. Here's what I mean, son. What you need to know is that you are gonna be like the coconut in the vice. You're gonna have to labor. But, But as you labor and it puts on pressure, that's pressure on, what you need to know is that while you're building, God's building and that takes the pressure off you're going to be okay because it's not all on you. And yes, son, you're going to feel the pressure of providing and protecting. And when you're protecting, the pressure begins. And you want to protect and provide security and strength for those that you love and the things that you love. And and that starts to put a grip on you. But what you need to know is that God is watching over as well. And as soon as you settle into the truth that God is with you and he's watching, it takes the pressure off. And you're freed up and you get to breathe and you live different than anybody else. And Son, what you need to know is you'll feel the pressure providing, it's gonna come on you as king, and for your family, and for the like, and the pressure's gonna to start to compress, you'll feel yourself start to crack, but what you need to know is that when you have those early morning and late nights, ultimately, God is the provider, and it takes the pressure off so that you can live free, and like nobody else on earth, because you have a heavenly Father who's with you and provides. See, David knew Solomon would have to learn this, or it would undo. Solomon's life. David's already been there, you've been there, I've been there, I live there. I've had many seasons in my life when I felt like I was cracking under pressure, haven't you? Haven't you felt that? I had my own distinct experiences in my journey even this year coming into January, February, March. God has whispered something newly to me this year. I'll I'll give it to you. You might want to jot it down. He's simply whispering, Kevin, live more in my presence and less in your pressure. Jot it down. Live more in my presence and less in your pressure. Live more in my presence and less in your pressure. Now, what does that mean? Well, I knew what it meant. Kevin, if you keep living in your pressure, this stuff is going to cause you to crack and eventually fall apart. Because what I find is that when I live mostly in my pressure... That my problems get bigger and God gets smaller. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one that finds myself in this place? You know what I'm talking about? You get so in your pressure that God just keeps getting smaller and smaller, and my problems get bigger. And if I just keep sitting in my pressure, this stuff will mess me up. I have got to, I have got to live more in God's presence. I gotta sit in a Psalm 127. I gotta know what that says. I gotta, I gotta revisit the truth of God's word. I gotta engage in prayer throughout my day and in particular, time, particular times of stress, I got to re-engage God. I got to return to who God is. I got to engage in praising God and honoring God and remembering who God is. I got I to almost reset my faith because when the pressure gets so great that at times under providing pressure, I crack and I wonder if I'm going to fall apart if I don't in, in, engage the presence of God. It's, you know, honestly, sometimes, sometimes I think, man, something in me is just broke. Has it ever really gotten fixed yet? I mean, I, I don't know. Because uh, you know, sometimes I think in my most quiet moments, um, maybe, maybe growing up in a broken family really has imprinted me badly. And, and the whole dad abandoning and brothers left and in my early teen years, and just knowing that dad, dad and, and them were gone, that, that I sometimes think, well, father, you know, under this kind of pressure, have you left too? I mean, I got a friend who, who, his parents, they stayed together for life and love each other. And, and he's never felt abandonment and never cursed to him that his heavenly father would leave him. But I think some of us come from broken homes. And that's happening with a, a growing generation of people. And, and then when you experience abandonment, and we talk about your father in heaven, that you don't have a good example or something to, to lean on. So when you hear that, you're not even sure what you're borrowing from. And that for some the default is that as soon as the pressure's so great that you start cracking under pressure and you wonder if things are gonna fall apart, you, you default to fear. And I wanna tell you that I don't do that. But I my default is fear, and I gotta work myself back to faith. I know after 29 years of pastoring this church, you'd like to think that I would like be more mature than that. I mean, I wanna be. I thought by now I would like be like on a mountain and I would speak down to you, the little people. And 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 I would just, oh. So, sad for where you are. <laughs> uh, and I would just speak from on high. And, uh, man, that's, that's just disappointing. I'm not. I got I, I to gotta rework myself back to faith repeatedly. I mean, maybe you're like, well, I didn't want to know that. <laughs> I want a pastor who's got more maturity. Well, then, this is, isn't the church for you. You've got to go find a different church. Um, because I'm the guy that defaults to fear and got to work myself back to faith. Honestly, because I know that if God is not real when I'm under pressure, then God's not real at all. I mean, if God is only real when I'm on the mountaintop and he's not real when I'm in the valley, then my faith is way too small and he's not real. If God's only real when it's downhill easy and not when it's uphill hard, then my faith is way too little. Sometimes I'm convinced that the majority of the spiritual growth only occurs when you're under pressure, (laughs) not when you're on the couch of convenience or comfort. So when I live more in God's presence and less in my pressure, that's when the vice pressure begins to unwind and I can rest in the fact that God is with me and that God is my provider. And that's when I'm free to love God and love others as opposed to, to just be emotionally absent and distant and lose control. And when Psalm 127 talks about sleep, there's two ways that in the original language you can translate it. One of them, which is encouraging, that it, it says literally, that. You know, God gives sleep to those he loves is one translation, meaning to say that when you're under anxiety and pressure and it's real, uh, nonetheless, because God loves you and he's over you and with you, that you can go ahead and sleep. He'll give you rest, even in the midst of it. But the other translation, which I prefer because <laughs> I just think it's powerful, is the idea that what it really meant to say is, is that when you're sleeping, God's still building because God never sleeps, <laughs> And when you're sleeping, God's still protecting. And when you're sleeping, God's still working and providing. And what you can rest in is that even while you have to sleep, he never does. And he's still got this. No wonder uh, David would want his son Solomon to get a hold of this. To know that even when the sun hits the 70-acre kind of pressure in life of providing, that God ultimately is the one who's building and protecting and providing. And that is all the certainty amidst the uncertainty. Oswald Chambers wrote about that, and uh, it's a long read, uh, but I'm going to read it anyway, so we'll just put it on the screen. And, and I want you to absorb this, because this has weight to it and, and substance. Our natural inclination is to be so precise, trying always to forecast accurately what will happen next, that we look upon uncertainty as a bad thing. We think that we must reach some predetermined goal, but that is not the nature of the spiritual life. The nature of the spiritual life is that we are certain in our uncertainty. Gracious uncertainty, that's almost worth writing down. Gracious uncertainty is the mark of the spiritual life. To be certain of God means that we are uncertain in all our ways, not knowing what tomorrow may bring. Now, this is generally expressed with a sigh of sadness, but it should be an expression of expectation. As soon as we abandon ourselves to God and and, and do... and do the task that he has placed closest to us, he begins to fill our lives with surprises. When we become simply a promoter or a defender of a particular belief, well, then something in us dies. That is not believing God. That is only believing our belief about God. But Jesus said, unless you become as little children. See, the spiritual life is the life of a child. We are not uncertain of God, just uncertain of what he is going do to do next. So are you taking all the pressure to provide? And could that be why you are cracking under pressure? Or why some of your most important relationships are falling apart? Now Psalm 127 is not merely about how you handle pressure. It's equally about how you handle success. How you handle what, church? Success. Because David is saying, Solomon, you're going to be under pressure, but you're also going to have success. And what you need to know is, in your success, it was God who was building. It was God who was watching over and protecting. It was God who was providing. And son, I don't want you to get in that place where you start thinking that success was all you. Otherwise, you'll borrow all the praise, and that'll mess up your life and cost you even your faith. See, that's why the next question that Ernie processed is a really important question. We'll put it on the screen for you, you can jot it down. How will I handle success? Huge question, how will I handle success? And so listen in on a couple more minutes of the interview with Ernie, it's insightful.
0: I never thought I'd be in any one job for 28 years, and You know, along the way, um, you know, fortunate enough to get the recognition of my peers, and then they say, for a particular year, you're the best. I mean, look, I'm I'm human. I'm gonna like that. Ernie Johnson, TNT. But it's not why I do it. I I almost looked at it in a way as, look, if if you do win. How are you going to accept this, and are you going to acknowledge the one who has given your life meaning? Look, i got to thank Jesus Christ for this, because he walked me through this cancer thing, and that sometimes he whispers to me and sometimes he shouts that his way is better than my way. I felt that was one of those things that was, you trust me, are you gonna hide me in a moment like this where your career is being celebrated or your accomplishments are being celebrated? It's funny, Cheryl and I talk about it all the time when after the December 10th, 1997, you know, we I even had discussions. I said, should I? is this what I should be doing for my career now? I mean, should I be doing this or should I be doing something that's more Christian? And then the more you experience life, it's like, let's not force your script into this. Let's see if this isn't where you're supposed to be, because now you have this platform, if you use it correctly, and God may just have you where you need to be.
1: And did you catch, I mean, there would be a lot to talk about there, but did you catch the question God was asking Ernie? In the midst of Ernie winning an Emmy and getting praise for his work, God asked him now, Ernie, are you gonna hide me during this moment of success? See, God is not only the one who provides, but God is the one who gets the praise. He's the source of success and David knew that he would have to talk to his son Solomon about this because Solomon's gonna experience Great success and praise. David's already seen it in his own life, and now he's going to watch it transfer, and he's going to hand over the kingdom, and 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 Solomon's going to experience great success. and And what Solomon needs to know is he didn't do all this on his own. It was God who was providing, and God who was protecting, and God who was building. and And you you see it. You you see early on. how Solomon was quick to recognize God and acknowledge God and depend on God. and And you see in First Kings chapter ten. If you we had time to go read through all that, and you can do that on your own, but but you see the queen of Sheba comes to Solomon and says, I've heard these amazing things about your achievements and your accomplishments and and your wisdom and your wealth, but now I've come to see for myself. And having seen it for myself, it was undersold. You are exponentially more successful, more wise, more wealthy, and more accomplished than I'd ever imagined. And Solomon is getting all of these accolades from the world around him. And after a while, you see it begins to affect him. Because King of said, Praise be to the God who made all this possible. See, Solomon owed God praise, and he was giving the praise to God. But after a while, with time, things began to change. He began to drift. Listen from 1 Kings chapter 11. Solomon, however, loved many foreign women Among those that God said, you must not intermarry because they will turn your hearts after other gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in his love. Listen to verse four. As Solomon grew old, listen. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was no longer devoted to the Lord like it once was. Solomon drifted. He what? Drifted. From his first love of God. The very one who gave him success. I mean, you go study this, you just want to weep. I mean, Solomon owed God praise and he withheld it. He hid God. You just keep reading down through there and it'll just make you tear up and weep the whole time. Verse 11, the Lord said to Solomon, since your attitude toward me is, (laughs) is one of walking away from me, literally, you no longer keep your covenant, you no longer look to me, you no longer love me. I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. I mean, Solomon cracked and then eventually fell apart because he pretended his success was his own. Then eventually God raised up adversaries and the very protection that God was giving Solomon, Solomon began to think he was providing instead of God. And the kingdom was torn apart. Drift. To see Solomon drift from his first love of God makes you think that the most dangerous thing in your faith might not be pressure, it just might be success. And that sometimes I think how you praise God in private defines how you handle praise in public. And that Solomon no longer was giving God the praise he was doing in private and therefore not in public. By the way, is there praise that you owe God? Have you begun to drift? Yes, David drifted too. By the grace of God, David came back. But with age and time and success, he drifted. With age and time and success, Solomon drifted. It makes me wonder, and as you get older, do you have to be more alert? Almost in wanting to talk to us who are in our 40s, 50s, or 60s on up and say, have you drifted? Do you find with age and with success That you become more about earthly things and less about eternal things? You become more casual with God? Have you lost any of your fire? I mean, one matters around here, and we go after reaching people who are far from God. You still care about that, like you did when we went after the 70 acres? I mean, we're going to break ground for for Buford Campus in June and and, and open up doors to reach more people for Christ. We're looking for land and deals to take care of what's going on in in Bethlehem and open up doors there. Are we still sacrificing and passionately invested? We all in. We all committed. We all, because within in time you can get soft on the very things that once mattered and drift have you drifted any is there anywhere where you need to correct drift I think those are the conversations that drives and David he wanted his kids to learn this and live it always so do I don't you I wasn't here last weekend because we were celebrating the graduation of son number three child number three (laughs) It's an awesome thing. I remember when Jake was born. I remember when Marcia said, We need to have three. And I said, No, we don't. (laughs) She said, I think God's in it. I said, I think he's not. I said, Honestly, I can't do it because I can't see a way to provide. And you know, some of you, the story that God pushed back and told me I really needed to trust him in this. And I did. I said, God, I don't know how you're going to provide. And I'm sitting at the graduation of my number three, and I'm just remembering over the last 22 years how God's provided, how gracious. And my boy's graduating debt-free, and he's in a good place. We got to celebrate for him success that God's given him. He's in business finance, and. The night before his graduation we were at a dinner for his department and group and graduating class and he got the award like business student of the year and I am so proud of him and hey, good for you son. And then the next day at 9.15 he's lining up for the graduation it starts at 10 and he texts me, hey dad guess what, I'm valedictorian, who knew? I'm like how do you not know this ahead of time? <laughs> Particularly if you're valedictorian. Oh, they didn't tell me there's six of us and they couldn't, there's no way to separate. So they would, so we have six valedictorians. Oh, that's awesome, son. And he's got a good job already set up and that job was solved nine months ago. He had a job contract already signed. I graduated without a job and it took a while. (laughs) I'm like, this is ridiculous. He's got a great job with Delta Airlines who swept him up because he's smart, good, fast, and capable, and he signed that contract back in September. He steps into that job soon, and I want to tell him, son, you didn't do all this on your own. That's too much success for a 22-year-old. What you need to know is all along it's been God who has been building and protecting and providing. And you better make sure that you know that the rest of your life and give him due praise and don't drift. See, I wonder if, for any of us and all of us, I wonder if those very same things need to be asked in our lives. I mean, we're gonna go into a series called Real Maturity between Mother's Day and Father's Day for four weeks. We're gonna coach you into maturity but I wanna pray for us right now, because I think that as I turn the service over to Campus Pastors and we take a moment to pray for you, I think we got some serious questions to answer before God. Are you taking all the pressure to provide? Could that be why you were cracking under pressure? Or why some of your most important relationships are falling apart? Are you drifting from God? And where do you need to get back to putting God first? So bow your heads with me, if you would, for just a moment. I sense the press of God, I'm going to honor it. I don't know what weighs on you here at Cafe Theater. I just know that we need a moment of prayer. But for many of us, we don't need a casual prayer. We need a momentous visitation of God because this stuff is words. It's not real for us yet. And pressure is eating us from the inside out and hollowing out our soul and we're tore up. And things are going off script and we're under pressure and pressure of, pride, uh, uh, pressure of providing has a way of, of distancing us from the most important relationships. And we wish we knew that God was the builder and the provider and the protector at an intimate, emotional, spiritual, deep level. So here's what we're gonna do. I wanna pray for two groups of people, those who feel the weight of that, and and you need God to, to help release the pressure off from the vice grip. And you need to know Psalm 127 deeply. And I'm gonna pray for another group, those of you who are drifting. But what I'm aware of is that as I pray for those two groups, you need to identify yourself as somebody who needs more than a casual prayer. I did this last service. I'm going to do it again. i don't, not dictating your response. I'm just going to say that while I pray, you might want to stand where you are as a way of declaring before God, I need more than a casual prayer. I got some things before you. I need you. I need your help in this. It might be that some of you just need to leave your seat and come forward and make this front an altar and stand here or kneel here, and that's fine. You, you, ha- you don't have to, and you can. But for about the next 30 seconds, as we prepare for prayer, you have that moment to stand where you are or to come forward. People give you room. Don't really, oh, this is awkward. I don't know what to do. I don't, listen, we, we, we just need a serious moment of prayer, and we need God to do something. And if you want more than casual then you begin to prepare for that prayer right now. So you can come forward and kneel here. The rest will bow your head. You tap the person next to you. They're going to let you out. Stand if you want to stand. Come here, kneel. Stand if you want. Whatever is the case. But you know what I'm talking about. You got some weighty things. So God, across this room in cafe theater, really across the church today, we're very aware that these are not casual things. Many of us feel like we're in the vice grip, and we feel like the pressure providing is more than we can handle, and some of us are cracking under pressure, and some of us, quite honestly, God, are falling apart, or we're afraid that we're going to fall apart, and, and we're not sure how to handle all that, and we're not even sure what you could do in prayer right now, and some of us are just going to stand where we are. Some of us are just going to pray where we're seated. Some of us are coming forward This is a way of saying, I need God to do, God, I need you to do something more than just an emotional moment. I need more than just a casual prayer. I need you to, in I need this stuff to become true. I need to be awakened into places of your kingdom. I need the prayer that David was praying over Solomon to be true for me. I need to know that you are with me. I need to know that it's not all on me. I need to know that when I'm off script, you're still on plan. I need to know that I can release these things to you, and that you've never asked me to be a god. I need to know, dear God, that that you are providing, and even when I can't see it, you're doing things that I can't see, and that I would hang on in my faith and be strong and lean in. God, I need help to live more in your presence and less in my pressure. And so, church, if you're not praying for yourself, would you just begin to pray for those who might be up front here or might be standing in the room? Could we just have more of a group prayer? If I know some of you are spiritually unresolved. This isn't weird, but it's not clear to you what's going on. But we take this seriously. But for everybody else, would you, if you're a praying person, would you just begin to pray for those around you who might be standing or might be forward? And God, we join our prayers together and we're saying we need a visitation and a move of your Holy Spirit and an engagement with you. We need this to be more than words and thoughts and ideas and cliches and concepts. We need to experience your peace. We need you to move into our lives. We need you to back off the pressure. And even if you're not going to change the circumstances, would you change how we carry it? We need to be emotionally present in our marriage and in our family and with our kids and at work. And we need to take the weight of decisions that we made and things we don't know how to control and say, would you give me wisdom? Would you give me understanding? Would you guide me through it? Would you turn things in my favor? And God, if it's going to be uphill hard, would you give me strength that I don't already have on my own right now? God, would you take the things I know I'm supposed to believe? Would you help me work back to faith? And some of us have weight of fear in us, and we got to work our way back to faith. Would you remind us the truth of your word? Would you teach us how to praise you freshly? Would you lean us back into the things of your kingdom? Would you restore perfect peace in us, O oh God? While others of us are praying, dear God, restore me because I'm adrift. I'm adrift. I don't feel you like I once did. I don't seek you and honor you like I once did. I'm not passionately invested. I don't give you my first fruits tithe. I don't serve. I don't engage. I show up conveniently and casually. I, I'm losing my, my, my heart for you, and I can tell. Oh, God, would you restore me to you? God, I, I, I'm surrendering myself fresh. I'm saying, oh, God, I need to get back. I want to walk with you intimately. Maybe this next series you'll coach me into it, but God, would you begin a work right now I need to experience the fullness of who you are. I want to be back to to deeper intimacy. I want things that I once knew. Or maybe, God, I'm just stuck and I need new things I've never known. God, for all who would draw near you, would you draw near them? It's what you said in your word. If we would draw near you, you would draw near us. God, we pray for these things. And I pray this over the lives of any who are saying, I need that desperately, not casually. So we lean into you and we look to you. And so now you may return from the front. As I close this prayer, you may be seated where you are. And as we do, God, we concede that none of us have control. We might feel like we're in charge, but nobody has control. We don't show up here on the weekends, God, because we have nothing better to do. And this isn't just feel good. This is right faith. This is the real world. So form these things in us. Form yourself in us mature us, strengthen us, abide in us, and form yourself more deeply and intimately in us than ever before. And may we walk from this place with a peace like we've never had. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.